Welcome to Too Deep Hokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. What a game. What a start to the season. Robbie, how are you feeling tonight, man? Excellent. I couldn't feel better about that. So uh, after <laughs> yeah, that Give win, us that cheers. Yeah, let's hop right into it. So I got to hand it to the coaching staff. I'll hit on a lot of the players during this episode, but Justin Fuente coming out and he looked like a broken man on Monday in terms of our ability to play. It made me, I would, I didn't want to say it out loud, but it made me extremely scared about the game. Obviously he was not just crying wolf because uh, we'll get into who is out of the game and what they had to deal with, but to get that team prepared and focused and, so uh, to play that way against NC State is pretty incredible. Yeah, I'll say so. Cheers, man. Cheers. Yeah, it was it was an amazing performance considering what we were dealing with, and we found out early on in the game and maybe even a little before the game that 23 players and two assistants were out for the game, and the assistants were Hamilton and Clays. There were... More, uh, I guess, lesser assistants that also weren't available, such as Jack Tyler uh, and a few others. And guys were also coming in and out throughout the week. I I think they thought they'd have Justin Hamilton up until Friday when he tested positive. Yeah, I think it might have even been Friday when he tested positive, and then they didn't know for sure until Saturday morning. So it was pretty incredible what they had to deal with that day. has to be so frightening to have that kind of change right at the last minute. Yeah. And the players, fortunately, it wasn't a lot of key players for us. The ones that I had that were key were obviously Hendon Hooker. So it's your starting QB, but Waller was out. Hooker didn't play, but was on the sideline. You had uh, Silas Zanzi, Keyshawn King, Daryl Simmons, Tyree Rogers, Oscar Shadley, our snapper, which I was a little bit worried about when I heard that one. And uh, I guess that was about it for the, like the bigger name guys. I think there were some other like backups that weren't available, but those were the ones that I found. Uh, In terms of the guys that did play, guys like Burmeister, Blackshear, and Herbert, they only had a week or less for some of those guys of practice leading up to this game. I think two of the snappers, the snapper and the backup snapper, might have been out of the game that they said. The joke at the start of the telecast was the day before, and I know this was in jest, but they were... You know, pretty much looking for walk-ons to to join the team. That's and we how got that guy was. that was just transferred from UVA, right? Enzo Anthony. He's the one that ultimately was snapping, and he just got to campus. And I think he was a walk-on at UVA. Yeah. Crawford also didn't start and I think is um, dealing with a bit of an injury too. Fuente said after the game he's going to get up into football shape soon. I hope so because he didn't. He didn't play a lot of snaps and and didn't look particularly healthy when he was playing. Um, And the final thing was Ryan Smith ended up calling the plays because Hamilton and Tracy Clays were out. So you had a guy who's like 28 years old uh, calling the plays and seemed to do a great job. He put together a heck of or executed a heck of a game plan. Obviously, Hamilton was involved in that likely via Skype and what other, you know, the infrastructure that they're using for these guys when they can't be around the players. But 
I think it was said today that there were only three defensive coaches. One of them was a GA that were available in this game. So Smith, one other person, and then a GA for the defensive I think, side. Um, Tap was in the booth, maybe. I, I was, and I'm not sure about Tierlink, but uh, and and that was the thing about this preparation, and we're gonna get into all this, but like what we had to deal with in terms of not just the players and coaches who missed the game, but leading up there to all week, uh, guys getting cleared the night before, the day before, that morning, and to come out and put together the performance they did, it was very impressive, and we'll harp on that later. I had a couple other notes. Uh, State was missing a few guys, too. They were missing Peyton Wilson and Tanner Engel, and we mentioned how Engel's one of the few veterans in the back end for them, and Wilson was their stud linebacker that had a great debut last year, and they're expecting really big things from him. So that was a pretty big loss for NC State. I don't think it would have made the difference between uh, them winning the game, but he might have had an impact uh, with, with some of our running plays. I also noticed that the UNC game got picked for a noon kickoff. It's a little disappointing, but at least it's on ABC. Yeah, it, it is on ABC. Assuming that things continue to play out as we hope or expect and we'll preview tonight, I think that they're banking on that being a pretty big game between between both sides. So I would have liked to have been a later game. That said, we just had an 8 o'clock game. We were <laughs> yeah. the evening slate. So I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth after we just had, you know, the later game that's that's important. But it would have been nice if it was a little bit later in the slate. Yeah, it's it's fun to wake up and have your game soon. Um, I, I think everyone loves that 3.30, 4 o'clock game. But that is what we're getting this week against Duke. So that that's pretty cool. And it is nice that it's a nationally televised, at least regionally televised game on ABC. So that's pretty cool. Right. I did want to also note we got a really funny review that you sent me today. It was something about, uh, it was the opposite of the one we've been joking about. And it was two alpha males ripping beers or something. Yeah. It took the message, the review that we got previously and flipped it on its head from Spencer, who sent a a great review and offset. I'm going to have to put the two side by side. Maybe it'll be my new profile picture on on twitter or something along those lines my banner maybe it was five stars two virile alpha males ripping beers so thank you spencer moss for that that awesome review we did get another review another nice review a couple days earlier so we very much appreciate that on if you give us a review on apple podcast and much appreciated to those listeners that did we also got a couple nice messages uh, an email from a guy from New Mexico that wants to send us some beer. And uh, that was that was pretty cool. Chris Bradley, I believe that was. And then another guy, Chris Givens, he grew up a lifelong Duke fan, but then went to Tech. So he messaged us saying, hey, if you guys want any insight on the Duke team, I still follow him pretty closely. So he sent us a really nice, well-written email today. And uh, we're going to use it as we go through our Duke preview a little later. But uh, Chris and Chris, thank you for your messages and uh, you know listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Let's hop into this game recap. Burmeister ended up getting the start. That's something we were all expecting going in. And we got going early with a couple of really strong plays. Kicked a field goal on the first drive. Justice Reed, the transfer, got the first sack of the year on NC State's first drive and made them punt. 
On the second drive, we played even better, scored a touchdown in just three plays, capped with a 37-yard run by Herbert. We added another TD on a second third three-play drive after a Diablo interception, and this time it was on a run by Blackshear. So you could see here that the transfers were making an impact early. Yeah, exactly. It it was the fastest start I think uh, I've seen, including the interception. All of a sudden, there was 14 or 17 points on the board before you knew it. 17 zip, but then Burmeister left the game with a hand cramp in the second quarter. NC State put up a TD on the run by Person, and it got a little bit, okay, maybe they're going to make a game out of this, kind of a lull in the action. But we responded with two TDs on consecutive fade passes by Quincy Patterson. NC State added the field goal just before halftime, but the game was essentially, at least it felt like to me that it was in hand at 31-10 to 10 at the half. Were you feeling that way? I was. It, things had slowed up a little bit. I think with Burmeister going out, I was a little bit concerned. I felt great once QP came in, and it was pretty exceptional the way that he was prepared to go. Obviously, he knew going into the game that he was QB number two, but he went four for six and didn't didn't look phased whatsoever in the game. Now he looked confident, and he, he played outstanding for us. So second half starts. We put up two field goals, uh, slowly seeing more and more backups coming into the game. NC State ended up putting in Devin Leary at quarterback because Hockman was just struggling, and they put up a TD on the pass to Riley. After a fourth down stop, we engineered yet another three-play drive that resulted in a TD run for Qu- Quincy Patterson. Burmeister actually added the two-point conversion, so you kind of had them both in the game. State added a garbage-time TD before it was all over, and it was 45-24, Hokies win. There were so many things to unpack about this game, but I think the story of the game was the dominant offensive line and our depth at QB. I think that's exactly right. The I would add one more. The fast start, which we're not usually accustomed to, uh, it's... I know there's been talk about the lull in the third quarter for Virginia Tech, but 17 points in the first five minutes of the game is <laughs> pretty exceptional. As soon as that happened, I started having the juices flow. It did slow down a little bit, as you alluded to, but I would add that to the game. I would also bring up, before we get into the in-depth items on it, the two-point conversion, which Fuente has come out and said... He was just going by the chart. There's a chart of what you're supposed to do on certain plays. He wanted to get it to to that number. And in fact, if you take that all the way to the end of the game, we probably should have put another six, seven on the board right at the end, and we or it would have been six, and we knelt it just to, you know, not not try and run up the score. So yeah. there wasn't anything nefarious or, you know, Trying spirited to, about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. He was just trying to get it to four four touchdowns. And we did. And it was fantastic. It, and honestly, the 45 to 24, the 21 point margin of the game, it, it really didn't feel even that close. It, this game, we could have won by, you know, four to five touchdowns probably. And they just had backups coming in the game. And obviously guys were getting tired too. It's the first game of the season. They're not in football shape. That became pretty apparent especially on defense. And we rotated guys on the offensive line, on the defensive line. And so, yeah, a 21-point win when you're bringing in backups with everything we had to deal with. I mean, 
no DC, no backup DC, no starting QB, missing depth, limited practice time, and we won by three touchdowns. Fuente deserves a prize for this one, man. I mean, it was a coaching masterpiece what he did the other night. Also to the players, they came out, they said beforehand, players during the interviews when the press got to talk to them, said they were angry. They wanted to go out and stutter, instead of beating up on each other, they wanted to go out and show what they could do on the football field. And especially with the offensive line, which we're going to get into the details here because it deserves an exceptional amount of praise. Burmeister said that dinner was on him. Dinner should be on all of us. We'll buy dinner for the year just in that game <laughs> performance because we've been talking about the offensive line and how we want Virginia Tech to get back to that old school running game. And that is kind of the foundation of the Virginia Tech program and something that everybody's really proud of. And we'll see what the running backs can do, but the holes that that offensive line were opening up were the best I could explain it is some of them, when I went back and watched the game, they looked like COVID where you have to like stretch out your arms and you know that you're six six feet feet on either side. That's how big some of the holes were that the offensive line generated. They, they were so huge. And if you looked at the pro football focus stuff, uh, you might've passed that along to me. Our offensive line came in at like number six in the country and Tenuta graded out as the best tackle in the conference, right? That's right. And that wasn't for this week. That was judging the full the full slate on the year. Who do you think the best offensive lines are for the year? So other wow. teams have. So that was not, from my read of it, when I went through the article, that's not, hey, this is a one-week performance kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's grading the six best offensive lines based on their evaluation. I also really liked your comment about when Nestor threw that guy into next week, <laughs> your tweet, <laughs> didn't you say uh, he changed his social security number or something yeah. like that? <laughs> the first yeah, the first four digits of, or first three digits of his social security number, which relates to where you're born, he had to change it because he got thrown into <laughs> another, another state for sure. But yeah, the running backs looked like they're for real um, just because of the bursts of speed and there were some broken tackles and things like that, but they were helped out greatly by the O-line, uh, 314 rushing yards. That's just the third time we've gone over 300 yards in ACC play. So that's since 2004, just the third time. And the last time, funny funny enough, came against NC State in 2010. But that was when we had those that stable of running backs. So could we possibly liken it to the Ryan Williams, Darren Evans, David Wilson? Is that even possible? <laughs> I don't know if it's possible, but... Herbert looks like the real deal. He does. That was the blocking was incredible and opened up some really good holes. But on some plays, he was really patient. He looked and and found another hole and waited for it to develop into the running lane. He had speed down the left hand side on that one play. He worked so hard to try and get that touchdown on the run down the left where he stepped out of bounds. And I can't even believe he got that close to to scoring a touchdown 17.3 yards on six carry per play <laughs> on six carries. Only one yeah. of those and then, was 37 was like yards. So like it was not one of those situations where you, a guy has 
a 60 yard play and it throws off the stats, he was yeah. averaging ridiculous numbers. Yeah, he was he was going for long distances on almost every carry and on his eight total touches, he had 150 yards. He's number 1 in the ACC in yards per touch. <laughs> it's it's awesome. Halston had 43 yards and 8.4 yards per carry. Blackshear had 31 yards and a touchdown. Uh it's it's very nice to see 7.7 yards per carry. I mean, that is it's just amazing, man. Like we we literally haven't seen that for a decade uh in in any game. So it's it's pretty freaking amazing. And Blackshear's um, numbers were not off the charts, but he had some tough runs where the hole was not as big, where he had to break some tackles, he went for a few extra yards. And Burmeister, his running ability, I did not expect. He showed a lot of on on the read option game, he made a couple bad decisions where he probably should have kept or probably should have had held off or handed off. But he has some speed. I really didn't expect that. And a few of his runs, it took on one of them four guys on the defense to take him down. And that was he didn't finally go down until four or five yards after the first touch that he got hit. So that was extremely impressive with um, our mustard player of the, of the year. Yeah. Yeah. He needed those mustard packets to get rid of that cramp. And I, you know, regarding the hand cramp, that's obviously a weird thing. Tim Hasselback said he had never heard of it. I, I've never seen it in a game. I'm sure you haven't either, but he did kind of fall on his arm. And sometimes when you fall on something funny, like bang your elbow, you know, you send a muscle into spasm. And I feel like that's what happened. Like his forearm muscle just like tightened up due to some kind of weird angle, but whatever, he did come back in the game. But when he was out, Quincy didn't miss a beat. And this just continues to impress me. Yeah. Hooker's on the sideline, no pads. So we're down to him and QP and, you know, we had to rely on our last quarterback. Maybe Knox Kadem would have come in the game if QP got knocked out. I don't know. But he had a 94.5 QBR and a 282 pass rating. Patterson. I mean, his, his ratings were far better than Burmeister's. Burmeister only put up a 43 QBR. He he played better than that. I, I mean, Burmeister was 7 of 11. He had a bunch of yards rushing. Great change of direction. Good quickness, like you mentioned. Um, but, man, Quincy just hitting those fades. Like, he just he let his receivers go up and make a play. And that's easy for Quincy to do. I, I, you know, single coverage, just throw it out there. Like going through a read process for Quincy probably isn't going to happen for him, but he's able to just throw it up. He's got a great arm, good accuracy, or at least it's, at least he seemed to. And the guys made plays. And he brings a different style than Burmeister. Burmeister uses more speed. He runs tough. So he'll take hits and keep trying to churn out yards. Quincy is just so big and just powerful. When he hits guys, it's it's really, really impressive to watch. Yeah, so he mowed opened, that one guy down, oh, I think, towards the end of the it game. Was it was just, yeah, that was like scary a little bit. <laughs> and I think that opens up those types of passes for Quincy Patterson because you have to defend that run style with so many more bodies and be prepared for it, that it opens up that one-on-one for what were two really, really great passes on the fade routes and then you had the pass to Caleb Smith that bullet that Quincy Patterson threw that somehow Caleb Smith bounced off his knee and came up with an amazing catch get there it was 
pretty incredible. Yeah. I do hope that Hennon Hooker is healthy and starts the next game because I do think he brings us more in the passing game than either of those guys can on a consistent basis. Uh, I, and I don't really know from Burmeister. We didn't get to see quite enough, but I just feel like what I saw last year, um, I want to see Hooker play. I want to see him start and play. I, I, I really like what he brings to the table, but I feel super comfortable putting Burmeister in there, putting Quincy in there. And with COVID, that this stuff is not over yet. Just because we got to play a game and we expect guys to be coming back, you never know when you're going to lose a QB. So I, I just can't speak enough about the depth and how lucky we are to have these three guys right now. Overall on offense, uh, we had 8.5 yards per play. That is second in the nation, only behind, do you know who it is? Mississippi State. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, I should have known that. The, that just set every record that's ever existed for passing in the SEC. So, I mean, that that was a quite a debut for Mike Leach. But, yeah, second in the nation behind them, most for VT since at least 04. I got that from David Hale. And I guess that's as far back as he was going for yards per play. But, man, 8.5 yards per play. It's almost a first down every play. We got big plays from Trey Turner and James Mitchell. Uh, Robinson was four for 40, just an amazing offensive day for Virginia tech, especially considering the circumstances. I I'm over the moon and how this offense looked good. And we do have questions. I mean, there's still not the depth at wide receiver you want, and we're still hopefully getting more and more guys back, but man, what a, what a debut for this team on offense. Yeah. And I'll mix in with the offense while we're doing it. So we don't do it separately is the special teams. Brian Johnson goes two for two from, he made three for three, but two for two for beyond 40 yards has under the radar for me because I don't pay enough attention to it. Maybe I'm just taking it for granted now. Really solid kicking game for us. Robinson and the punt returns. He had the smart play to knock one out of bounds. A couple others looked good. Some a little bit more suspect. He picked up at least one where I thought he was going to get absolutely nailed and, and fumble the ball. And then we kept, at least on the offensive side, penalties to a relative minimum for a team that has not played yet, hasn't practiced together cohesively that we know for sure and has had problems that way, and has coaching staff that that isn't necessarily around there. So uh, a huge testament to the team as a whole, but also on the offense. Yeah, I wanted to comment on your thing on Tavion there. The knockout of bounds is great, but when he catches the punt, it just like suction cups to his hands. It, there's no bobble whatsoever, and I'm I'm knocking on wood because I don't want to jinx him, but like he just catches it so clean. I was I was paying attention to it specifically just because of our issues last year, but man, it just comes right into his hands. Doesn't hit his body or not. It just like right in there, and it's so secure. So. Love Tavion Robinson. He seems like such a savvy player all the way around. And uh, we got three more years of him, or maybe four, depending, because this is a free year. But uh, anyway, do you want to move to defense? Yeah, let's do it. They looked great early. They they let their foot off the gas a little bit at the end, but it was a solid night, standout performances across the board. We only gave up 139 rushing yards. This was against NC State, who gained 270 on Wake. So despite there being a lot of rotation – Crawford having limited snaps, we stifled what they do best. Those are, they're not going to be the best, but they will be top three to top two of the best 
running back duos that we're going to see this year. And they got chunks. There were times that they got some yards, absolutely six, seven yards. But in comparison to what I would have expected from those two, which was a huge concern, you and I talked about it on the preview podcast, the running game was really going to dictate what happens. And what was it? It was the running game that really dictated everything. And that's not to take away from QP's amazing passes and those touchdowns, but we had set such a tone in the running game and the ability to contain them in comparison to what happened on the other side. And they, they created some holes as well. And they did a huge testament to the linebacking core for being really nimble on their feet, moving kind of laterally and just getting tackles that stop plays from being a 15 yard chunk and keeping them to a distance that kept NC State at bay. Yeah. We made Hockman also look like crap. I mean, <laughs> he played awesome against Wake, but he was 7 for 16 in this game for just 82 yards and two interceptions. Leary was far better, but the game was in hand by then, and we were putting in you know our second stringers and stuff, so it's hard to tell anything. Uh, we had six total sacks, seven tackles for loss. Justice Reed started off his hokey career with a bang, two sacks and five tackles for the big man. True freshman Keonta Jenkins. We heard about him from all the guys on the team and the coaches. Led the way with eight tackles in his first game as a true freshman. You gotta love that. Jenkins was, had ex- se- was expected for most of us, I think. Reed, I didn't see coming. I was blown away by the power that he showed. He was really pushing his way through. He exceeded that your expectations line. coming from FCS. <laughs> yes, by far. Dude, he, he's going to be really good for us, and we needed him badly considering Garbett's not playing for us this year. Uh, we did get some some good uh, depth additions, I guess, from Eli Adams and Zion DeBose. They both were strong. That was something that French noted. They were much better than Barno, as he put it, and French also loved Jenkins and Diablo, who had a really nice game with the sweet interception. Um, he was making nice plays all night long, and that's – Diablo is that guy that if he has a strong season, it's going to make such a difference for our defense. It will change everything on that back end. If we know we have that side locked down, it's going to really Mm -hmm. open up things and we can move and shift the defense a little bit to give some help to some of the other guys, knowing that you have that, that guy's just on point right now. So I hope it continues. Dax had seven tackles and a half sack Tisdale actually started over Dax. He also had seven tackles. Ashby had six and a sack. Connor with six and a tackle for loss. Like what I saw out of Brian Murray, he was thrown into action because Waller couldn't play. Uh, Belmar had a sack. It was a team effort, really. The defense, it was a team effort. We gave up 5.1 yards per play. If you don't know how good that is, it's good for 26th nationally. So maybe they had some big plays and especially some more like garbage time plays but we're still overall put up a great performance my concerns is that we're we're thin razor thin at corner without waller and if crawford isn't 100 percent, that's a big blow to our defensive line top end in my opinion i i would agree with that i would also say well i have to throw in murray with that with that interception he read it oh, the yeah. exact same way that diablo did and it was Solid quarterback's eyes. You could tell it was going to be an interception. He knew it was going to be an interception. 
yeah. and the run down the field where he was hoping. <laughs> I, I almost I almost felt bad. People were making fun of him, but he wanted to get that juke and get the touchdown so badly. It it, it was just a little bit little bit off. It was actually didn't work out for him, but, but yeah, it was an still amazing a solid play. <laughs> but I yeah, I agree I, with you. I think towards the end of the game it became pretty obvious that our depth on the defense and the defensive line is going to be a problem. Maybe we can make up for that with the offense and some of the other things, but if we go into a UNC game or a Miami game or a Clemson game towards the second half, I'm going to be concerned about the depth. Guys looked a little bit gassed towards the Mm -hmm. end, and I know NC State runs a hurry-up offense that they don't give you time to get a breather, those sorts of things. But they looked a little bit little bit tired towards the end. Yeah, we saw a lot of uh, Max Philpot actually, the former walk-on, or he might still be a walk-on. Um, he played quite a bit. And yeah, I, you know, with... So Pollard, I think, started in place of Crawford. And um, I love the guys we have, but they're young still. I mean, we have to remember that... that Kendricks and Pollard and Fuga, they're all true second-year players. I was going to say true sophomores, but I think um, Fuga might be a redshirt freshman. Either way, they're young. And so those defensive tackles outside of Hewitt and Crawford, like they need to learn still. And Hewitt was solid all night long. And I actually, I was, I was happy because we didn't always see that from him last year. Like He wasn't always solid, but he, he had a great game. So love what the defense did, love what the offense did. NC State really didn't look good after play, playing Wake so well, or at least what we thought was well. I was a little surprised, and I think if you're giving Fuente, you know, a helmet sticker for how well he he coached, I think you got to take one away from Dave Doran because that was a piss poor performance by NC State. I would agree with that, and obviously the quarterback was not prepared. They ended up having to switch to the backup. The they just look outmatched. And I'm not even talking... I think our offensive line is going to, knock on wood, outmatch a few teams, quite a few teams this year. We'll see what happens, and we'll talk about that a little bit during this Duke preview. But all over the field, and the defense deserves a lot of credit because I think in the lack of depth, and we are not the most elite defense, you can tell from a talent perspective, they made it up with just a lot of effort, swarm tackling all over the place. Some of the plays that I would see out on the boundary or field side, the people would be getting tackled by five guys from Virginia Tech. That's how much they were swarming. So they they read plays well. They put themselves in the right position to minimize distance on on tackles, shorten up the the field a little bit, and they made up for it with an outstanding effort in that game. It really couldn't have gone any better for Tech. It really couldn't have. That's reflected in our SP Plus ranking. We moved up to 17, which I, I'm having a hard time remembering last time we were that high. Uh, and that's with all the teams. That's the you know the Big Ten is back in there now. So we're 25th on offense, 21 on defense, and 28th on special teams. But number 17 overall, it's it's lofty, and I, I love it, man. I think this team has a chance to have a very special season. We were saying it all summer and the COVID stuff, not having spring practice, having all this BS, skipping our first two games. um, It took away 
from the hype and like losing Farley, losing Devin Hunter. But this team came out and they look like the team we've been expecting all offseason. Especially on the offensive side. I think I'm going to wait to see what yeah. the defense really, really is when we get to some of our tougher games on the slate because they they outmatched NC State with just effort and just demoralizing them to the point where I don't know what we have yet in terms of the upside, what the ceiling and the floor are for them. So I'm extremely happy about the performance and going to hold judgment to see what we're really working with after the next few games. Yeah, defensively, I don't think it's this extreme, but it could be a little bit of an FSU situation. You know, we we went out, destroyed FSU in game one two years ago, and they were not good at all, and we didn't know that at the time. I think NC State at least has a good offensive line, yep. and they have good running backs. So I don't think it's as extreme as that, but it could be something like that. So we're not going to know about this defense until October 10th when we play UNC. And really, because Duke, we're going to get into it, but they do not have a very good offense. So it's going to be hard to take away too many accolades for the defensive side of the ball in this next game. But we will know soon enough. And I do like the potential. And we need to get Ham back on the sidelines because we got to see what he's made of too. That's right. Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. This is me and Robbie's favorite beer stores in the area. Uh, Dominion, great outdoor setup. Downtown Crown actually has a great indoor setup. We recorded a live podcast from there not too, too long ago. And our buddy Arash is always there. Uh, I actually will be coming through the area in maybe two weekends. So I'm going to try to stop at Downtown Crown and uh, and pick up some beer because they have the best selection. And the atmosphere in there is just so welcoming. They have curbside pickup. They've got you know online ordering, and like I said, eating out there, drinking out there, especially at Dominion. I know the food there is good. You've been there, and, yep. and I, I posted the pictures to our Twitter feed of the food they have to offer. Yeah, and it made me very, very, very hungry. So, and <laughs> they they got COVID options, so you can go be outside, hang out. You know, if you're worried about being indoors, totally cool. Go there, be safe, be outside, have some drinks, and they're always going to have great stuff on tap, no matter what kind of beer you like. Whether Absolutely. you're a big IPA guy or stout, they'll, they'll always have something, and I guarantee they'll have quite a few things that you probably haven't had on draft anywhere else. Yep. Follow them on Instagram. Uh, their handles are very easy to find, and I've tweeted them out, and I will continue to do so. Their websites, again, Google Downtown Crown Wine and Beer, Google Dominion Wine and Beer. They'll come right up. You can put in your orders. They've got crowlers, uh, anything you could think of they've got, and they've got an amazing selection. So, Robbie, I want to know what you're drinking right now. I was in a golf tournament this past weekend, so my brother-in-law came over, and I didn't get home until 6 or 7. They had already left, so he, he left behind some beer that I think he was bringing especially to drink with me. So I feel kind of bad about that. It, <laughs> it's a Bell's official. I don't know that we've had this on the podcast before. It's a hazy IPA. It is pungent American hops combined with wheat and Pilsner malt. Smooth, aromatic, juicy IPA. Delicious is how I yeah. will characterize it. I, I think you've probably had this before. We may have had it on the podcast. I don't think I did. And 
it is a great beer. It, fresh, cold. It is. I'm still lingering on my summer hazy IPAs for a little bit longer until the, the weather fully turns. And this is a great beer. Highly suggest it. Yeah, I've seen the can. I, I'm going to say that we haven't had it on the podcast, and I don't think I've had it either. Maybe I have. You know, Sometimes after, after a long day of drinking, you grab something out of the cooler and you don't remember. But uh, off the top of my head right now, I don't think we have. And I love the can artwork on that. kind of looks like a baseball logo. That's exactly what I was going to say. We got a little bit of uh, Washington Nationals uh, uh, font going on on this can. So that's exactly the same thing I thought. I am drinking Three Floyd's Zombie Dust. They call it an undead pale ale. And we're getting into spooky season, as the kids will say. And there's some cool comic book artwork on this thing. It's kind of got like a, obviously a zombie of some kind. But Three Floyds is from Munster, Indiana. And I've been noticing their cans showing up on the East Coast more and more. And it's a pretty well-respected brewery. This beer itself is very hoppy for just a pale ale. And... I don't know how many Midwest pale ales or IPAs you've had, but they definitely skew bitter and uh, overflowing, I would say, with with the hops. There's almost like a, a dryness to it. This one is copper in color, pretty clear. You can see through it. But the Zombie Dust Undead Pale Ale, it's, it's solid. It's maybe not my favorite type of pale, but it's definitely good, especially if you like hoppy pale ales. This is from my brother-in-law, Chaz, gave me this one this past weekend. All right, let's hop into this Duke preview. 4 p.m. ACC Network. Duke, as everyone knows, is coached by David Cutcliffe, and I've been tweeting about him a little bit this week, just in his record the last four years and how he's done at Duke and this and that. This is his 13th season at Duke. (laughs) That's kind of hard to believe. It's incredible. That is... That predates uh, the podcast, if you can even believe that, <laughs> for how long we've been doing it. Yeah, he is 72 and 82 overall, and 34 and 64 in the ACC. I've kind of said, like, cut is slipping a little bit, but that is only because of the great success he achieved from, what was it, 2013 to 2015? That's right. He went 15 and 9 in ACC play over that three year span. And this is a team that from 94 to like 2007 won nine games in the ACC over that time period. I mean, he exceeded like the program average by so, so much um, that now he's kind of competing against what he built. <laughs> yeah, he's going against his his own performance in some ways. Duke was a complete bottom feeder of the ACC for so long and cut comes in and really just changed through coaching. Not really even it improved with recruiting a little bit and got better and better, but just really sound teams, well coached, ready to go out and play disciplined teams, good game plans and really changed everything that was thought of as Duke being a basketball school and not that they ever transitioned to a football school, but people actually started to really recognize them. They made the ACC. Uh, didn't they make the ACC championship game? I they, guess it would have been. Uh, I can't remember. How I think many that years. was 2013. 
2014, so, somewhere in there. The, that three-year stretch of really good play, that was 2013 and 2015, as I said, 15 and 9. And since then, he's 10 and 25. So it's it's definitely way down from there. But considering they won nine games over a 13-year period in the late 90s, um, yeah, it's it's pretty impressive what he's done. And he's getting up there. And yep. so the conversation that we had when it came to Beamer is kind of the conversation the Duke football fans and our friend Chris Givens, who sent us that email, was bringing up that, like, they're dealing with that too. If you were a fan of Duke football pre-Coach Cutcliffe, you will never ask for him to be fired. And right. that's kind of how it was for pre-Beamer fans, right? Yeah, obviously an even longer tenure for Beamer played for a national championship. Yeah, greater heights. Greater heights, but the same, on a smaller scale, the same type of situation in terms of coming in, changing a program, changing the narrative, putting them really on a national scale. They weren't previous to that whatsoever. In fact, they were more of a running joke. But the the key, I think, is, is nothing against Cutcliffe. It's just at a certain point, when you're older and you start to lose the, that momentum, it gets extremely hard to get it back. Mac Brown yeah. is finding a way to do it through recruiting because of more nostalgia, I think it is, almost more than anything else, trying to get back to you know, recruiting good players, those sorts of things. But it gets harder to hit that reset button. The older that you get and the game continues to develop, the game offensively and Cutcliffe is a mastermind offensively, and he's well known for it over time. It It's changing every three to four years now. People are so good at thinking about new out-of-the-box ways of approaching the offensive side of the game that it gets really hard to kind of reset things and yes. reinvigorate, I guess is the better word. Especially when a team like Duke loses coordinators, loses assistants all the time because Cutcliffe has run a good show. And something that Chris emphasized in his email was that they've kind of promoted from within every time. And maybe there's not a lot of new ideas being accepted. And thus, since the start of the 2016 season, we're seeing a little bit of a decline. But they've got the stadium renovated. They've got new facilities. They've got a level of respect football-wise that they hadn't had in decades. So he, they're still far better than where they were, and when Cut leaves, he's going to leave it in a good place. Let's speak more specifically about how they've done just recently. Last year, they were 5-7, and 3-5 and five in the ACC, and they really weren't very good at all. But that didn't prevent them from beating the crap out of us 45-10 to 10 in lane in what was maybe the all-time low point of the program of the last 30 years. And we started our run right after that loss to Duke. It, in some ways, and I hate to say this, in some ways that was the best thing that happened to Virginia Tech at the time in a way that I don't ever want to revisit and I'll never <laughs> nope. watch that game. Just like I always cringe when I see the 0-0 Beamer hands up against Wake Forest picture, yeah. I still get angry in my blood seeing that picture. The but it was it was good for the program in that sense of understanding when 
the softness that Fuente was very honest about, I think, during this offseason in saying that he looked at the team and he took responsibility for having allowed the team to get soft. That was actually a really pivotal point for, for this team. Absolutely. I think the turnaround was amazing last year, and I love what we saw week one. So now we're going up against this Duke team who's 0-3. Their S&B Plus is 81st. <laughs> and they are 120th in the SP plus on offense. That is that is hard to believe from a David Cutcliffe coached offense. Um UVA just dropped 450 yards and 38 points on them. So their defense might not be that great either. <laughs> um it's it's not good right now. The the way that Chris said it to in his email to us is kind of historically bad offense right now is I think the words that he used. It's not, it's not good. And they're struggling so much so that in my preview before he sent over a bunch of notes on his thoughts, I was going through and really struggling because I don't want people to come out of this podcast and then all of a sudden be surprised on game day that somebody has a good day. I could try and kind of pick out, who might be the players that could have a good day, that could be somebody that's impactful, that's somebody that we have to watch out for. But it's not easy against with this no. Duke team right now. Well, I want to talk about Chase Bryce. He's the transfer from Clemson that's playing quarterback. He's got 722 yards on the year, uh, two touchdowns, six interceptions, and just a 6.3 yard per attempt. His ratings are terrible. Um four interceptions against UVA and that was two in the BC game. He actually had no interceptions against Notre Dame. And I remember we reacted to that game. We're like this chase Bryce kid, like he finally gets a chance to play. Uh, He might be kind of good. Like he played solid against Notre Dame and he has just gone in the tank since then. He he's taken nine sacks in three games. Four were against UVA. I'm wondering how short the leash is going to be on Saturday. It's something I thought it's something Chris brought up and will we see one of the backups? And I, I don't know who that's going to be. Chris thought it might be Gunnar Holmberg, but I think we're going to see one of those backups. I think unless things dramatically change quickly, I think we probably will see at this point you're and three. I think why not? I mean, you have to shake something up. You have to do something a little bit different. Throw Can, us off. Yeah. So I, I would suspect, I would suspect that Bryce may get the first quarter to see if he can get his feet underneath of him. And against our defense, maybe he's able to, but I would not be surprised if things go the same way. And we saw the Diablo early pick in the game against NC state. If something like that happens and he's a little bit shook and they end up making a change. Well, the history of this podcast says that if we prepare for a certain quarterback, we're going to see the other quarterback. So now we're kind of, we're kind of giving you all the angles because we want to make sure our bases are covered because this could certainly be a game where we see a different starter or we see a different QB after a quarter or two. If Things are going well for Virginia Tech. Obviously, that's the if. Uh, at running back, I do like Deion Jackson. Yep. I think he's a dynamic player, uh, but they are not utilizing him efficiently, and, and Chris kind of harped on that. 
Mateo Durant, the other running back that I think would make an impact. He's more of a north-south guy. Um, Jackson's the one I'm actually worried about, and I think if they were able to get him in space or call some better plays or whatever, um, he could be a problem. And, and, And I think he's been a problem in the past for us. But you look at the playmakers on this offense and like he's one of very few. I would agree with that. Going into the season, there was questions in the running game and what that was going to look like, even with Durant and Jackson out there. And thus far, I think Jackson, I would agree, could be a little bit dangerous. But they've averaged four and 5.4 yards an attempt. They have a combined one TD between the two of them at this point, which shouldn't be all that surprising given the scores of their games. So it was a question mark. It remains one. Chris was talking about how the run game has been slow to develop almost the complete opposite of what we saw from Virginia tech in week one, when the running game was very fast to develop, the holes were there, uh, put people back on their heels very early in the game. And then they've spread the ball when they can make passes all over the place. They have six wide, wide receivers with more than 60 yards, but really they're only, uh, pass threat that I am extremely concerned about. And I had this in my notes and then Chris reassured me that I wasn't wrong was Noah Gray, their tight end who I think is a really good player. And beyond that, there's, there's not a ton on this offense that, that makes me scared other than, you know, I, I'm still getting ready for what our week two defense is going to look like and yeah. the question marks that are going to develop there. That said, if they play the way they did last week, we should be in good shape. Yeah, Noah Gray, he was preseason All-ACC, and he's definitely the number one threat. 13 catches for 152 and a touchdown through the first few games. Their offensive line, it's been bad. 55th of 72 teams in sacks allowed, 66 of 72 in tackles for loss allowed. It's been a struggle for them to do anything. So, yes, Jackson is dynamic. Gray is good. But the team is just not very talented offensively. So you if you can check those guys, cover them with Tisdale, cover them with Chamari Connor, the tight end I'm talking about specifically, but keep an eye on the running back as well. Uh, we should be able to shut them down and get our sacks. And I, I that's why I think a more athletic quarterback like Holmberg, he could maybe be effective against us, doing read option, doing running plays, scrambling, like, that's going to be Duke's hope, I think, in this game. If you put a traditional dropback guy in there, um, we're going to sack him probably you know, four or five times. Yeah, and I think French did a really good article. I think it's subscriber-only on the key play about the new defensive scheme, and it was enlightening to to read about. And he talked about it before the season started, going back and looking at you know what he thought this defense might look like for us, it's more collapsing the pocket. It's less of the blitzing off the edge, those sorts of things, and a little bit more contained, a little bit more sideline to sideline type movement. More zone in the back. Yeah. I think that it's key for us not to let Jackson or Durant start to get off on a good pace and allow Bryce or whoever it is in the backfield to start making some passes. If we can do that, I'll feel... I'll feel really comfortable in in this game on the defensive side. So on their defensive side of the ball, they are 
44th of 72 in yards per play, 38th, as I said, in the defensive SP+. So it's much more solid, but it's still not great. They play three safeties, essentially, in a 4-2-5. We saw a lot of press coverage in the past, um, and they kind of subscribe to a positionless defensive backfield. Whether you're corner, whether you're safety, you're going to have to cover, you're going to have to tackle. Um, The best unit on the team is their defensive line. And that's because of Chris Rumpf and Victor Dumukeche. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's I, don't make me say it again. Come on, Dumukeche. <laughs> but he's a senior. He has four sacks this year. He was also preseason All ACC along with Rumpf. So they got a couple standout guys on the D line along with seniors Tangelo and Jordan. They're also back. Um, they got potential to be nasty in that unit. The problem is behind them. It's mediocre in the back end and young and thin at linebacker. The linebackers are definitely the weakness of this team. I think they have more athletes and a little bit more athleticism, versatility on the back end that they might be able to mix around and find some matchups that are working a little bit better. And as Chris alluded to in his preview, and and you just said, that ability to swap people around and figure out what matchups are working size-wise, speed-wise could could be helpful to them. The linebackers are challenging. I kind of want to do what I did last week, which is assuming that this game goes as planned, what can you take away from it? I think watching, again, the Virginia Tech offensive line and the run game in this game versus what I would consider not an elite, but top-of-the-pack ACC defensive line in Duke what they can do there, I think, is a good takeaway in this game to understand where we stand, what the pecking is, pecking order is in the ACC, and where Virginia Tech sort of stacks up. I think it'll be a definitely a good test, and you got to consider who Duke's gone up against. I mean, Notre Dame and BC have maybe the two best offensive lines in the conference, other than Clemson and us. So they've had some stiff tests already, and. Duke was hanging in there with Notre Dame. They ultimately gave up some run yards to them. They got hurt in the passing game to BC, and UVA did a little of both. So it's it's interesting. Like, yeah, I think their run defense uh, is probably better than their pass defense, but it's they're they're both about the same. It just depends on how well the D line is going to play. And I am looking forward to seeing that matchup. I wanted to mention Marquise Waters. Uh, That was a guy earmarked by Chris. He's number two on the team in tackles. He was number three last year. Do you remember that guy McDuffie they used to have? They always have like that one safety who essentially is like a linebacker safety hybrid who just plays whatever. Like you just got to get to the ball and tackle. And I think that's what Marquise Waters is. And and I think he can make an impact. If they get Mark Gilbert back, who's – a very good corner, but has been marred by injury the last two, three years. Uh, if he ends up being able to play this week, that could be helpful for them. But I'm with you. I don't want to get like way over my skis with this game. Like, oh, they're bad on offense and they're mediocre on defense. And we're because this could be a game like into the second half. If you look at that UVA game, I mean, they were winning early on. They were ten up, ten nothing on UVA. And then they had a 20-17 to 17 lead in the fourth quarter. So this isn't going to be just like a walkover. I, I know they've been bad, but like 
this could be a tight game into the second half. The way I would characterize it is those are my objective tape takes on things. My subjective take and my concern, I talked to you about this earlier today, is Duke's back is up against the wall. They're 0-3 right now. Things are not going well. This is not a great time to be catching this Duke team in terms of what they need to go out and prove to to establish that they can even get some wins on the board this year yeah. against it's like ACC a little bit folks. of a caged animal yeah thing going on here and that but to to counter that and maybe this is getting into our overall thoughts so i'll blend it together sure the i think this game is about readjusting expectations especially for our team during game one a ton of just pent-up momentum not aggression, but just frustration from playing versus each other, having two postponed games, coming out with a lot of energy. Going into this game, I think I'm hoping that the team takes what happened with Duke last year, and you don't have to be emotional to play with emotion, if that makes sense. You don't have to make it over the top. You don't have to get penalties. You don't have to, but you can use that emotion, harness it, and really come out and prove a point that this isn't the same Virginia Tech team. We're not the same soft players that showed up on the field in Lane Stadium last year. Uh, That other way of playing is more frustrated. I I want it to be more tactical, right? We're just going to go out and try and own this game. And I think that harnessing of that attitude versus what happened last year, not making it so emotional and personal, but just making it that business trip we know we can do this and we're going to prove what last year is, isn't the foundation of this team, what we're built upon. But I am grateful that last year happened at this moment only because if Duke was looking this bad and we had beat them by two touchdowns last year, I'd be very nervous about a trap scenario because UNC's coming up and whatever. But that's not going to happen because of the result last year. So I am grateful for it. I think we're going to keep the emotion in check and win this game. I'm expecting a 17-point victory, something like that, 14, 17. But there were, Duke was a little bit better on O against UVA. They've just been getting killed by turnovers. So if they don't turn the ball over and they get Gilbert back, and they play tough like they did against Notre Dame, they could cover the 10.5 line. They certainly could. But I don't think all of those things are going to come together for them. I think we are good for three sacks on them at least and a turnover or two. And if we get that, we should win by two touchdowns. That That's, that's my thoughts right now. I'll probably get more nervous on game day. More than likely. I also just want to see if Hender and Hooker is coming out and starting, what he looks like. We're not back to week one. The offensive line has a game underneath them. The running backs do as well, but it would be his, his first game back. And we know he's been out for at least a couple of weeks uh, because of, or, well, I guess it was a medical issue for him. So maybe not so. That might not been the case, but... He's coming back. This is his first game. Just seeing what that looks like, making sure everything's good. The good news is if he struggles a little bit, I feel totally comfortable with either Burmeister or QP coming into the game as well. So 
But that's a nice feeling to have going into this. Yeah, and if we do struggle early or things are moving slow, I don't think it's going to because of be because of Hendon Hooker. No. I I think it would be other things. He just he's such a cool, calm, collected guy and he played so consistently last year. Um there was maybe a couple moments in the UVA game where maybe the pressure got to him a little bit, but that's not going to happen here. So I, I even if he's coming off injury, coming off COVID, I feel confident Hendon will come in and play well. Uh, do you? I don't want to ask you for a score prediction, but how are you feeling just about the margin of victory? Do you think we're going to win? Like, what was your thoughts? I, I think we're going to win. I think. I think it's going to be close in the first half and closer than it probably should be is my guess. But I think that the what I saw last week and then what we've seen from Duke, this team should be prepared and skilled enough being Virginia Tech to go in and win by 14. I think 14 yeah. is a good number for them to, to win by. And maybe some of those come in the third and the fourth quarter. But I, I think that's a comfortable level and anything north of that would be exceptional. And if it's a tight game, listen, Oklahoma just just lost. <laughs> Texas right. almost just lost to Texas Tech. We're going to talk about a few of these teams. We saw Ellis, the defending champs lose. <laughs> so nothing would surprise me. I'm also not going to freak out if it's a close game. I will be extremely upset if we lose this game because I don't, think that there is any reason we should be at this point but if it's a close game and we win by three or seven i'm not going to be one of those people that's upset about it it's not going to bother me things have been so fluky this season that i i'll take a w and we're still dealing with getting people back like ham's not going to coach us one it's probably going to be called by ryan smith again and we're hopefully going to have tracy clays but we don't know and so, yeah, this this could go a little bit wonky. We've we've got this team backed up into the corner. We'll see. But even if it's a close game, that experience can be valuable down the line. I'm expecting not an NC State type of mauling early on, but I'm expecting a nice victory. Not a cruise, but a nice victory. So let's hope that's what happens. I, I think let's take a Cutcliffe quick, can sorry. also, I think he can adjust a little bit better on the fly than Dave Dorn. I think that is absolutely true. And <laughs> just before we get to our beer break, Tony Gibson as a defensive coordinator, he stinks. <laughs> not good. Not good at <laughs> he's all. Not, he's not good. Uh, let's take that beer break, and I will kick us off. I'm drinking the Oktoberfish by F- Flying Fish Brewery. This is a New Jersey beer, another one. I, I know I'm doing a little bit of the New Jersey beers, but I think some of our uh, Northeast listeners are appreciating this. 6% alcohol. The key to a good Oktoberfest beer, in my opinion, is not to make it too syrupy or too malty. It's got to it's gotta still be crisp. And this one is walking that, that fine line um, but between being a little too malty uh, but great flavor. So I do like the Oktoberfish, not as much as the Hofbrau that I had a couple episodes ago, uh, and maybe not as even as much as the Yinling Oktoberfest, but this Oktoberfish by Flying Fish is is still pretty good. Uh, Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm drinking the Sabro Bomb 
New England IPA. It's from Sloop Brewing. I've had them on, I think, one other time on the podcast. New York. Yes. It's uh, in Hopewell Junction, New York. They also are brewing out of Hampton, New Hampshire. So one of those places that's brewing at two different spots and put it on the can just to make it confusing for everybody. It's 6.5%. A New England IPA, as I alluded to, it's got Sabro hops in it. And it's good. It's um, And you can see the can. It's got like this sunshine thing going on, but it looks a little bit like an orange. It's a little bit too fruity for me. The first When I had the first sip, it was a, a little bit of a punch in the mouth. It's mellowed out a little bit as I've gotten a little bit through the can. It's okay. It, I don't think you could power down more than, you know, maybe one of these. But it's not bad. Sloop, the other beer, I think I rated pretty highly on the podcast. It's a good brewery. They put out some great beers. I do like the can, though. Yes, it is. It is very, very interesting. Uh, so I sent you the picks earlier today. We're going to pick, I guess, eight games. And NC State is going to pit and... This is a crazy line to me, like 14 points, Pitt's the favorite. And just last week, you know, I picked Louisville on the podcast to to cover the two and a half or whatever it was against Pitt. And now you're seeing them 14-point favorites over an ACC opponent that we just played. And I guess that's because of the score that we put up. I'm not sure. I'm going with NC State here. The Pitt defense looks exceptional. I think the stats show the same. We'll see what happens as they go up against different offenses throughout the year. But after last week, I think we could see a little bit of a bounce back and NC State could keep this within 14. The thing about NC State is they played played at home, I guess, or maybe it was at Wake. I don't know. But it was in North Carolina. Then they come to Blacksburg. Now they got to go to Pittsburgh. And so that's a, that's a decent amount of travel in a short period of time. They just kind of got their ass kicked. And Pitt's defensive line is probably better than ours, and their defense is is also probably better than ours. So it reminds me of the old Virginia Tech days. I always felt confident when we had a good defense that if we played a team with a bad defense, we were going to win, regardless of how good their offense was. So NC State could have the best offense in the world, but the fact is Pitt's bad offense is going to score on them. So I just feel like NC State might put up like seven points in this game. Or, or, you know, 10 points. And I'm going to take Pitt. I don't like it, but I went against them last week, and I think Narduzzi's got something with this defensive first team. I'm going to take them to cover 14 points because it's it's almost so big that it makes me think Vegas has it pinned. But That's fair. we'll go to the next game, UNC at BC. And we have a little bit of interest in this game because how much of you wants UNC to be undefeated when we get to play them? I'm hoping UNC rolls them, and we have a really big matchup against UNC. Fact is, this season's been crazy. I want to see really good matchups. Teams that, heck, if we play UNC undefeated, Miami with one loss because they play Clemson, I think, next week, and play then play Clemson undefeated, I'll love. That's that's awesome. That's a That's an amazing slate, and it'll get a lot of hype. I also just think, UNC is going to roll BC. I think BC played a little bit over their heads uh, last week and and have a little bit overall, and I think they need some more maturing of that 
that new scheme and the new team that they have, the new coach that they have. So I think UNC wins by 14, the line's 13 and a half, right? Wins by a couple touchdowns or maybe a touchdown and a field goal or two touchdowns and a field goal. Sorry. Yeah, BC is a weird team. They, they go out, they kick Duke's butt as underdogs, and then they come out against Texas State and just, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's nearly lose, but they played very badly against a bad team. Uh, but that's what BC does. They're kind of like Pitt in that regard. So I'm going to take BC plus 13 and a half. I think they're going to keep it a little close, especially since you're making UNC go all the way up there. Uh, I like BC at home to cover those 13 and a half points. I hate both of those teams, though, so I'm rooting for UNC to win so we get the good matchup. UVA at Clemson. Clemson is 28-point favorites. This is on the heels of Clemson scoring 62 points on them last year in the ACC title game, right? There, There's going to be a lot of emotion, at least from the UVA side in this game. They've played well on defense. You have to at least say that we can make fun of you know, Bronco and as much as we want, but the defense looks relatively stout. Clemson has looked really, really solid, but I could see UVA keeping this to like 21 points, something along those lines and covering the, the spread. I have no expectation of them winning this game, but a 21 point loss would, would, would be more likely in my opinion than a 35 or something along those lines. Just kind of a blowout, especially with having getting embarrassed last year. Yeah, and Clemson has been taking their foot off the gas in their games. They haven't covered in either of their two games, including against Wake, who they could have scored 100 points on if they wanted to. So I'm taking UVA as well. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be because Clemson pulls all their starters but it might be. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to take UVA. That'd be even more helpful. TCU at Texas. Texas, 13-point favorites. I put this on here because I just wanted to talk a little bit about Texas and what they did last week against Texas Tech. They really should have lost the game. Uh, they just kept getting scored on over and over again against a team in Texas Tech that nearly lost to Houston Baptist. Yes. So uh, I don't think Texas is good. This is an in-state game. I'm going with TCU. I'm going to go with Texas, and this is more... I have a couple of these on here. We're about to get to the next one that I think is just a bounce-back game where they're frustrated, they get yelled at enough in the locker room about what just happened, that they come out and they win. But you're 100% right. They should have lost that game. It took a miracle, an onside kick, a two-point conversion, winning in overtime. They should have lost that game. So we'll we'll agree to, to disagree because they looked terrible at least that defense did so now we're going to go to another big 12 game and this is oklahoma at iowa state and this one is particularly interesting because we saw oklahoma lose to kansas state in a game that they had a big lead and were heavy favorites well what did we see last year we saw kansas state beat oklahoma the next week after that k-state game oklahoma played iowa state and that was the game that Iowa State lost by one point at the end. So I take, I'm taking Iowa State to cover. It's the exact same situation. <laughs> Iowa State is the underdog. They are playing Oklahoma the week after a K-State loss. I expect them to cover in what is a seven-point line. I will take Oklahoma. Just I'm going with my bounce-back theory. 
So we'll we'll find out. If my theory fails, it will fail a lot this week. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, we're different different on all but the UVA game right now. Yep. Uh, next one, Ole Miss at UK. Uh, Kentucky played pretty well and in some ways better than Auburn, but ultimately they couldn't cover the spread, and that was annoying. And you knew when every single podcast and picker was picking UK to not just cover but to win outright against Auburn, you knew it wasn't going to go well. Yeah, that's that's typically how when it's everyone's darling pick of the weekend, it doesn't usually work out, and it didn't. This week, I'm taking Ole Miss to cover six and a half. I'm a little surprised it's almost a touchdown spread here, but I'm going to go with Ole Miss. I'm going to take UK. Okay, and, uh, another another one. I know. I well, I went and uh, uh, the Kiff. You can only ride the Kiff train for so long. I think. Yeah. So. <laughs> well. Both Ole Miss and Kentucky did not cover last week. Yeah. So someone's got to cover this week. That's right. right. Texas A&M at Alabama. Alabama only a 16.5-point favorite. That seems low to me. I guess it does seem low, but Alabama, they haven't – did they cover their first their first spread? They, they, they did not. I don't believe. They played Missouri. I don't know. Yeah, Jimbo really needs to show something because A and M did not look good either. There were a lot of teams that did not look good in their their week one performance in the SEC that a lot of people at least thought would figure things out, like LSU. So I'm gonna go with Bama and just thinking Saban is going to come out and 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 try and steamroll uh, Fisher and and make something happen and see what Jimbo's got. I think that's a good pick because I apologize. They did cover. I had it at 28 and a half last weekend, Alabama. I guess I got a little bit later in the week in my pick them, but they covered by a half point. Okay. And I know a lot of people got in on that at like 22. So Alabama did cover Texas A&M did not. No. And they did not cover by an awful, awful lot of points. They won by five points against Vanderbilt. It was a 30 point spread. So, I like Bama to cover the 16. I thought it was too low at first reaction. I'm taking Bama. A&M and Jimbo, I mean, yeah, this is the year they've been waiting for. I, I think Bama's defense will stifle them quite a bit. I mean, they only scored 17 points on Vanderbilt. Yeah, so, right. like, how many do they expect to score on, on Alabama? In the last game, this is a top-10 matchup. We got Auburn at Georgia. Georgia, six-and-a-half-point favorites. Again, another team that – uh kind of played with its food a little bit <laughs> it was not great with it really depends it sounds like jt daniels might be coming back for georgia and they might get him for this game and i'm not sure whether that's going to happen or not i think that that is going to be the single factor that's either going to change this for one way or the other i i gotta go with auburn they looked good Georgia, this is a tough matchup between these two teams. Georgia's defense looks really, really good. Auburn looked really good in their first week. If JT Daniels, which I'm banking on, comes back in this game, I don't know if that's going to happen. So I'm going to stick with my initial gut instinct was Auburn to cover the six and a half. My initial gut instinct was also Auburn. Uh but I'm wondering if the interception before the half by Kentucky and some other things in that game uh, made them look a little bit better than they actually are. 
So I'll go opposite. I'll go Georgia to cover the six and a half. I'm getting it under a touchdown. So I'm going to just have faith in that defense. And then maybe JT Daniels, who, who whoever's playing quarterback, gives them enough to win by a touchdown. But I'll go Georgia. So we got a bunch of different picks this week. I think the only ones we picked the same were UVA and Alabama. UVA. You have BC, right? Or uh, I yes, had... I have BC. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited for Duke. I want to just go down there and take care of our business. And if we do that, put up a solid victory, we set up a great matchup with UNC. I'm not looking past it. I just think we we reiterated it many times. This is a game you're supposed to win. You're supposed to go down there and beat an 0-3 team. And we have done historically very well against teams from North Carolina and Duke in particular. They served us an ass whooping last year. So let's let's repay the favor. That's right. All right. You can find us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. It's 2DVT at gmail.com. Uh, you can send us any comments, concerns. If you want to send us beer, you can do that too. On Apple Podcasts, rate, uh, review, and subscribe. Those are the three key words there. Um, thank you to those of you that reviewed us recently. We really appreciate it. We're no longer beta. We're alphas, and that feels good. We're just alphas ripping beers out here. Virile, baby. Um, and last but not least, Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. We're putting up some more pictures. I actually posted a clip of our keys to the game on our IGTV, which I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't know what IGTV was until like I posted to it like four days ago. All it is is a place for us to ex- post extended clips from the podcast. So I can post a four minute clip, uh, you know, different segments, um, from my phone. Essentially I take the video and post it on there. So that's what I did. And, you know, hopefully if you just want to snip it, you can find us on Instagram and, you know, listen to that on the day of the game to, to remember what you heard earlier in the week on the podcast, but make sure you subscribe. It's at 2DVT on Instagram as well. I'll stop talking now and I'm looking forward to this weekend's game until next time. When we're talking about a big win, Go Hokies.